welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, get unstuck, and be more confident in your 30s. And I'm really, really, really excited to announce this week's guest because this woman has become such a role model to me and she's really she's creating a movement and her tiktoks are going viral and no she's not a gen z and her instagram is also incredible because she's starting to put content out that so many of us are resonating with and the episode today is going to be all about talking about why aging and specifically women aging has become such a negative thing in the eyes of society and you know the person who I'm interviewing she works in the same field as me and we have very similar niches because we both are really committed to the mission of helping individuals and specifically helping women to feel better about growing up and to feel like it's something positive and it's something to embrace and to basically put our middle fingers up on what society says we should do and how we should be. So today I'm interviewing Dr. Amanda Hansen. She is also known as the Midlife Muse and we're going to be talking all about aging gracefully and all of the things around being a woman who is entering midlife and wants to do things differently. So Amanda is a clinical psychologist turned transformational life coach for women. Her brand, Revolutionizing Midlife, is about redefining and reclaiming what it means to be a woman 40 plus. She is a self-proclaimed paradigm shifter and her contagious approach is one of the limitless possibilities where most see roadblocks, she just sees opportunities. I am so excited to introduce to you Dr. Amanda Hansen. Hey Amanda and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me Emma. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm so excited because as I was just saying to you, it's so nice to meet a fellow coach, a fellow life coach who also talks about and you know coaches on the topics about maturing and growing up and aging and all of the things that come along with that. So I know that we're going to have such an amazing discussion today. And I would love to hear, I guess, from the start, where was Midlife Muse born from? And with that, your personal story of becoming a coach and doing this work. Yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist by trade. I got my doctorate over 20 years ago and I was in private practice, just seeing clients one-to-one in my office. And as luck would have it, I was right before the COVID time, I was reconsidering how I wanted to show up in the world as a leader and sitting in the chair, counseling one person at a time for me just felt like I was kind of reaching burnout a little bit of compassion fatigue. And so I decided, what would it look like to start having groups of women, the energy of 20, 30 women in a room? And so at that, I shifted my practice. And then a few months later, COVID happened. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with like all of these women? 
I learned about Zoom a couple of days later. And now my entire practice is women all over the world on Zoom. It couldn't have worked out better. So mm -hmm. I just have so much flexibility in being able to do this with just a computer now. So Midlife Muse in itself came around because I'm going to be 50 in a couple of months. And as I was approaching, even in my early 40s, I started having lots of thoughts about what it meant to be an aging woman, particularly in America. I think I want to clarify that America, I know other countries and cultures have different experiences, some similarities as well. But I know there's something very different about the white supremacist way of the lens that sees women in aging. It's different than friends that I have in other parts of the world and especially other cultures where age is revered. Um, so for me, living in America and being surrounded with the main conversation around midlife, how many injections, how many CCs, how many, and I was like, what is everyone talking about? It was Botox. And then I looked over at my husband, I'm like, this is all women seem to be talking about, whispering about at the, at the parties and the dinner tables. Are, are you guys talking about aging? He's like, fuck no, why would we be talking about aging? What, what do you mean? And it, it hit me like, oh my gosh, that's right. In America, men are revered for aging. They're considered the silver fox. They become more distinguished. It's the sexy. fine wine. Men, men grow, grow older like a fine wine. Right. And women become infertile, disposable, old hags. There isn't even a word to trade silver fox for when you're talking about a woman, literally. And so I started to have this thought and feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make my midlife experience the most erotic, sensual, beautiful journey. I'm going to be the muse of my own midlife experience. And in doing so, what I found in my practice and also in my personal life is women were coming around saying, tell me the secret. Like, what are you doing? How is it possible you're refusing Botox, you're refusing hair color, and yet you're oozing sensuality and confidence and joy. And that really then shifted all of my work into this midlife kind of a space. But I will tell you, I have probably more women in their 20s and 30s hire me than 40s and 50s because they want an icon. They want a woman to stand next to and be in proximity to because these girls are telling me, my mother's not a good example of how I want to grow old. Well, I wanted to ask you if you're just working with women who are, you know, 40, 50 plus, and it's so interesting that you're working with younger women because I think it's exactly like you said, due to lack of role models. I think that when you're a woman, and I obviously work primarily with women who are in their late 20s but mostly in their 30s who are you know transitioning into that kind of growing up into their 30s and all the 30 related issues they don't have women ahead of them that inspire them and i'm always saying to my clients pick a role model pick somebody who you know in your life or who you really respect who when you're older you can see that you would like to be like them and they're always like I don't know. I don't have anyone that I know. And it's telling. And I think it really says something. So it's super interesting for me to hear that you, and, and actually makes sense actually, that you attract women of all ages. I was really surprised. I couldn't believe, and I think that was a factor of being on TikTok for the last couple of months. I had no idea that women were going to come in droves and sign up for my courses because I was thinking, to be honest, I was thinking women like 40 and beyond. And while that is a big part of my clientele, of course, these younger girls just say like, I want someone to learn from. And I remember for myself, actually, 
when all of this was happening and I was doing the market research and I would type in the word midlife and I wouldn't even finish the word midlife and the Google search engine would finish it for me and say midlife crisis. And I thought, is it possible there's another narrative? Can we write a different story? And when we think about what an unbelievable market it is to target it, I think women are targeted towards fear in all ages. It doesn't even matter what, if you're in your 20s or beyond. Um, the toxic beauty culture comes after women and you know, just onslaught of fear so that you can buy. We buy from fear more often than not, sometimes out of joy, but often out of fear. And so in the midlife market, I was shocked to learn that the hormone replacement therapies are multi, multi-billion dollar industries. And in the anti-aging skincare line, I even, I have so many people who want to partner with me via TikTok. I get so much every day. It's insane. But even the other day, it was so insulting. I had a pillowcase company reach out to me and they're like, wanting to partner with me around avoiding wrinkles while you sleep. And I thought, wow, a woman can't even sleep anymore without being worried about getting wrinkles. This is so many ways of fucked up. We are so screwed that there's nowhere to just be. There's nowhere to relax. There's nowhere to indulge and feel luxurious. We have to be like, am I getting wrinkles if I sleep on my side? Am I gonna do something to my face or my chest sleeping this way? It's absurd. Wow, it's crazy. And my question for you was going to be, where has this stigma about aging come from? And I think you've already you already answered it. It's come from this extreme fear that is instilled in us from marketing, from society, basically. Where else do you think it comes from? Or is it, you think it's completely societal driven? I think there's a little bit of a, I, again, I can only speak from my American experience. I don't feel this lands the same for friends in other cultures and countries, but there is a sick like obsession with youth in America. It's almost like we fetishize women. And you know, the, I don't know if you saw the Abercrombie and Fitch documentary. I haven't had a chance to see it myself, but some of my girlfriends saw it. And they were talking about how the average ideal of beauty in the modeling world is the target is 15 to 16 years old is considered ideal beauty for a woman. Her skin is pretty flawless. She's more on the slender side. They said white, tall, thin was the range around when they were considering the models they wanted to use. And so I think we have a really sick obsession with youth and I'm sure there's some fertility stuff that is tied into that. It's like in a, you know, an exchange, what can I get from you? Um, the younger you are, the more children you can give me possibly. I think that there's a naivety about younger women. There's something really insane that starts to happen in your late forties where you become so unfuckable with that. I don't think a lot of men want to deal with women who are that strong and it's easier to control and manipulate younger women. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I know that you've said a few times that it's American culture and I've never lived in America, so I don't know, but I think it's Western culture. I really do. Because I think even in, I'm from the UK and I live in Israel and like, it's the same here. It's the same everywhere that I think that Western culture is, is this obsession with youth. And I see it because 30 is so young, right? Let's even say, so young. And I have clients that come to me, no word of a lie and say, I'm on a tight deadline. I'm, 20, I'm 29 and I'm turning 30 next year. And if I do not get my life sorted, then something really bad is going to happen. And I'm like, pardon? What did you just say? And it's coming from somewhere that they have been told that if you do not have your life in order by the time that you are 30 and beyond, 
then you're a failure, then you're a flop, then you, you know, no one's going to look at you, no one's going to register who you are, no one's going to acknowledge you. And it's, it's, it's a really sad narrative. Oh, it's so sad. And we, as women, these kinds of conversations, the work we're both doing in the world, this is the way we get to bring these conversations first and foremost to light, to even expose them and talk about them, and then hopefully create some change for the narrative for the women who are coming after us. Because I have to tell you, I honestly, in my 30s, didn't, I loved my 30s. I loved my 40s. So something must be changing in general in the culture because I don't ever remember having conversations with my girlfriends or talking about, oh my God, can you believe we're in our 30s now? Ever. I just, so I don't know what's going on that it, the needle seems to be moving younger and younger now. I think maybe the whole Forbes 30 under 30 culture has taken off. That kind of the career woman, the career driven thing has taken off more so than it was 20 years ago. And I think it's actually like, like a millennial thing. And I think mm. that now 30s were classed as millennials if we're going to go down the, the labeling route. And I think that there's a pressure of being a millennial, of being like, if you're a woman, you're a millennial, so say you're 33, you have to have a good career and you have to be making money, but you also have to be married and have children and you have to do it all and balance it all. And I think that's actually different from the generations above because I think that there wasn't that pressure in the past. And I think that people aged in a different way and now we have all these mixed strange mm. messages like when you're 20 be free go out live life do all the things but the minute that you turn 30 if you've not got a savings account and you've not got a husband there's something wrong with you oh the pressure i can't stand this yeah, yeah. oh my gosh so yeah your your industry is so needed i'm certain there are so many women who benefit from navigating these waters with you and I'm interested to know, because you're obviously running this group program. I've been I've been following it. I know you became a, a TikTok sensation. You went viral, right? Really recently on, on TikTok, which is funny because I like refuse to go near TikTok. I'm so terrified of it. I'm like Instagram all the way. And there I'm are some serious haters on TikTok. It's so you have to have like, I just don't even read most of the comments because it is intense. My team tells me like, oh, you might not want to look today. I'm like, okay, I won't look because I'm stirring up a conversation, yeah. but yet people can't take their eyes off of it because yeah. I think secretly deep down, everyone knows there's truth to this conversation. They're just pissed that I've brought it up into now because now we can't hide from it. <laughs> oh my God. You really have a lot of feedback from people saying, saying what exactly saying they disagreeing with your message that you can be. Well, the, I think, woman. you know, I would say the majority of comments on the majority of videos are very beautiful, like really powerful. Like you watching you has inspired me. Something shifted in me. I've changed. Oh my God. I, I canceled my hair color appointment. You make me feel beautiful and free. And so there's much more. I would say 75% is that. But the 25% is coming from the 20-year-olds in particular who are furious that I have suggested that they're beautiful as they are. They can't even hear my message that I'm saying like 20 year when you're 20. I mean, it's such a beautiful time in life. How is it possible that girls think that they need to be doing this to themselves? I can't even imagine what's going to happen by the time they're 40, 50. I mean, can you imagine how much they're going to have to inject at that point? Because the muscle atrophy you've caused, the problems in your skin. And so they won't hear it. And it's fine. But I think how sad women can't even hear you're beautiful as you are. It's like, no, no, I'm not. I love my Botox. I'll die with the needles in my hand. I'm like, okay. 
and good for you, but it's really sad they can't even hear. And I think when you get that level of trigger and that level of defensiveness, it's because deep down there's truth. You know, I'm speaking truth and you can't even look at it. So you have to attack. 100% agree with you. But wow, when I think of the 20 year old, the, the TikTok generation or the Snapchat generation, which is just above that. And I think how they just have grown up with these filters. And I know that they take these pictures of themselves to plastic surgeons from a really young age and say, make me look like the filter. And you just have to think how, how absurd it is and how bad it's getting. And I guess, like you said, that's our, our responsibility or, you know, as thought leaders in this space to be able to go against that. But it's difficult to watch. I know my daughter who's 19, it's sometimes we have these conversations nonstop and the books that I've bought her and I leave on her bed and she's like, you know, we have the conversations about it constantly. And I think she teeters, right? Because she's 19. She's just going to be in her second year of college. She's inundated with that message and the expectation. And yet she has me as her mother. And so I think that there's you know, a better chance for her compared to most of her peers. At least the feedback she gives me is like, mom, I feel so strong around all of this I because I'm watching you. But exactly. I think it's a slippery slope. It's a really slippery slope. So what kind of work do you do with women who come to you? Let's say, let's talk about your, your clientele who are 40 plus. What work are you doing with them? I'm really working with like reimagining what this next chapter and, and second half gets to look like. Because one of the things I have found is that when we talk to little people, when we talk to high schoolers, when we talk to college age students, it's all about what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? And we stop asking that question in midlife. We stop asking women, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be? What are you dreaming for? What are you desiring? When I ask women these questions, a lot of them just start crying and they're like, I don't know. I've gotten here and I don't even think I like the career I've been in anymore. I just did what my parents wanted me to do. I became a lawyer or I left school soon after our kids were born to stay at home and I resent that decision. And so a lot of my work is helping women reimagine this next chapter in all aspects of their life, in purpose, in relationships, in their sensuality and sexuality. There's a, it's just an incredible, incredibly fascinating time to rewrite. Everything gets to be rewritten. I'm watching marriages where couples haven't had sex for 10 years reignite their marriages with new language, with new ways of operating after we work together. Because I think the belief was, well, that's how it's always been. So that's how it will always be. And then when I start to help them really till the earth and till the soil, we explore what, but is that what you really want? And most often it's not, but they've gotten themselves so far down in a rabbit hole, they don't even know how to begin again. So we begin as if they're a brand new couple together. And it's so exciting to watch what's happening. And for women who are considering maybe going back out into the dating world, but I will tell you, a lot of my clients are divorced and they are living their best life. And as a matter of fact, I run a really high-end Lux mastermind that I don't even advertise. And it was it's on Wednesday evenings. And the women last night who are all single were getting together and they were a handful of them were, were, happened to be in the same part of the country. And they were saying, I will never be married again. 
I will never be in a relationship where I have to answer to somebody else, where my moods will be dependent on somebody else's energy of the day. I don't want to have what felt like another child in my life. Mm -hmm. And so these women are just incredible. And they're, they're planning the most luxurious vacations all over and just imagining life in a way. So it's really funny too. Women in midlife and beyond more often than not are so far from interested with being with somebody again. And it's so interesting to hear because a lot of my audience, the single part of the single ones in my audience who are say like 30, 30 to 36, 37 are panicking about not meeting their person. So a lot of my audience, and I even say myself included, I'm single and 35 and don't have children and I want to be a mother. You get to the point where you're like, is it going to happen for me? And when you get to that point, you almost romanticize this concept of being in this relationship and thinking that as long as I just meet the perfect person and become a mother finally after I've waited and watched every single one of my friends get married over the past however many years and it's just not happened for me and will someone ever pick me? Amanda, I can't tell you how it feels to hear that there's a group of women that you're working with who are even rejecting the ideal. It sounds bizarre to me. They're like, finally, you want to know the truth between you and me? They're like, I'm finally free. Wow. I'm fucking free because for all your listeners, I just want to say, I understand. It's easy for me to sit here and say, as someone who has been married, who has children, it's easy for me to say what I'm about to say. So I, this is not without compassion, but I just want to say marriage and children is the hardest fucking thing you will ever do in your life. So it's no Disney movie. There have been more nights where I fantasized about what it would have been like to stay single my entire life. So please understand for anyone who's listening, I promise you, you will have the most gorgeous, epic, amazing life if you stay single. And those of us who did get married and have these big families while we love them, we're looking at you thinking, fuck, I wish I was her. <laughs> <laughs> the grass it's always is that you want what you don't have. The grass is always, always greener. And I actually have one of my closest friends. She is like in her late thirties and she just recently separated and, and got divorced. And she has two young children and she's also you know, single and we, we're in contact a lot talking about dating. And she always brings me back down to earth. She always says to me, I know that you think that this thing is going to solve your life problems, but I promise you that it's not. And I think that everyone needs to hear it because the truth is, is that if you aren't happy single, you probably won't be happy married and you probably Guaranteed. won't be divorced. Like, Guaranteed. You are exactly right. And I think after the honeymoon, you get home and you look around and you're like, oh my God, th this is it? Because I think what happens, again, I think we have sold the idea of the bride and planning the wedding. And that's four, you know, four hours at best, you know, depending on what culture you're getting married in. Maybe it's two-day event at, at the most, I suppose. But it is really, really hard. There, there are so many beautiful things about it, but it is some of the hardest. It is actually the hardest work I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And it's just important to remember that at every stage, no matter if you coupled or not personal development journeys and working with mental health is just difficult and I think it's important to say that we can fantasize and romanticize a future time when you won't have to do that work and I don't think it exists and in, in my knowledge and working with hundreds of clients I don't I don't think it exists you're so right because I've had women I've worked with after like we get to the end of a six-month mastermind and they're like I didn't think I was gonna say this but I want to do it again 
And then now most of my clients have been with me for years. They just keep signing up for everything because it's the next level and it's so beautiful and rich and deep and nourishing. And it becomes this belief of like, wow, in the same way I wash my face and take a shower, brush my hair, eat healthy food, I realize I'd been neglecting my soul for so long. I want to stay in the space where I am on this path of evolution for the rest of my life. It's so beautiful. There's no check mark. There's no actual arrival. I find the, the deeper I go, the more I'm like, oh, what, what lives over in this little corner? Mm. Oh, I'm curious about this. And through it's because we're, I think if we think of it in the lens of traditional psychology, we think there's something like you're quote unquote broken. This is like the greatest treasure hunt of a lifetime. Like treasure hunting the crevices of your life and your soul and your heart and all the gems you're gathering along the way. In that perspective, I think it's one of the most exotic, incredible things we can do with our lives. And I know it's rich coming from two life coaches who are obviously clearly passionate about what we do, but it's addictive. For me, it's been the most addictive journey ever. Like you said, you work on yourself and then you, it's this, you don't, and I always say this to my clients, you don't one day wake up and you're like, cool, good, spent that money and now feel great. Let's just carry on with life. Like it's a lifelong journey. I really believe that. It's an expensive one, but it's worth every penny. <laughs> But, but when, yes, I agree with you and it's our lives. Yeah. Like to me, like what, where would I rather spend the money? I mean, to me, this is the most beautiful thing I am. I am, you are, every single human is their own greatest investment. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So something that I came across when I was listening to your podcast was one of the concepts of the difference in mentality between a baby princess mentality and a queen mentality. And this is something that I speak about all the time when I'm telling clients and, and friends, like be on your throne, you know, like what would a queen do? And I know that you, I think, call one of your programs, there's a reference to the, the queen's inauguration, which I love. So can you explain a little bit about the difference in that mentality and how that you see it can change your life. Absolutely. I think the princess, to, to summarize it pretty succinctly, is the princess is really energy that is always seeking. She's in a needy place. She needs to be validated. She needs to be told she's good. She's okay. She's safe. She's loved. And the difference between her and the queen is the queen is being her own safety. She is being validated by her pure existence. She's being love. So I think the difference is the princess is really easily triggered. Her feelings are very easily hurt. She's quite defensive. She's not fully integrated. She's jealous of other women. She is, just has insecure attachments. And the queen is a woman who owns all of her feelings in a way that she moves in her life with radical self-responsibility for every feeling, every thought, every word that comes out of her mouth. She just owns her life in a way that is really exquisite to watch rather than like what we're used to seeing with like the housewives TV shows where that everyone is throwing chairs and blaming and catty and tearing each other down, which I know it's all scripted. But nonetheless, I think that the storyline of tearing down our sisters is really in baby princess energy being constantly threatened. And long-term, why this is so important to me is because we're not only hurting ourselves, but we're hurting the collective of women. We will never rise as baby princesses who are unintegrated. It's only queens who rise. And this is why women aren't able to surpass or even catch up to men financially or in any power positions because 
we are so busy in fighting. We're so busy worried about how we look and we are not doing the integrative work of becoming a queen. And so, you know, even the way a queen communicates, she owns her vulnerability. She says the hardest things because she trusts that it's the right thing to say. It's the truth. And she owns her words rather than puts them on other people. So that's, I mean, it's so much deeper than that, but essentially on the surface, that's the energy that I'm helping women shift out of. And, you know, they hear it the first night and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, oh my gosh, the things that come up after that, they can't even believe how they're witnessing their, my gosh, my mother who raised me is 90% in her baby princess. Oh my gosh, the way my sister and I interact when we get upset with each other or the way I speak to my partner or the way I feel when my boss puts something back on my desk and doesn't like the work I've done. And so then we just get to keep excavating and rewriting what it feels like to be in queen's energy and how, how specifically to be. So that's what I wanted to ask if somebody is listening to this and and thinks, oh my gosh, I'm in baby princess energy and I want to be in queen energy, where should they start? Like, Where's a good place to begin this journey? The first place would be in the way that you speak to yourself, what you see when you look in the mirror. It's the most basic place to start. So when you look in the mirror, are you criticizing? Are you like, oh my God, I can't even believe these extra rolls. Oh my God, look at the cellulite. Oh, I need to get like done something done with these 11s. My hair looks so frizzy. Or are you in the mirror thinking, oh my gosh, I am so beautiful. I am such a miracle. Look at me. Look at what I've carried on this journey. Look at the representation of all I've been through. Fuck, it's so exquisite. That's how I speak to myself every morning in the mirror. So there's a big difference in how you greet yourself. That's a perfect litmus test for how you operate in the world. Because when you see abundance and beauty within, it's almost impossible to go into the world and into relationships and into conversations, into business interactions, and not see abundance everywhere else. But you have to see it in yourself before you can ever see it elsewhere. And what Otherwise, you, it's just a fragmented version. What do you think holds most women back from being in this energy? Because what's coming up for me when you're speaking is this resistance of, but what will people think? Or I could oh, think yeah. that, I could think that and look in the mirror and we'll go, wow, I'm exquisite today, but then I'm going to go out into the world. And is it the truth? Are people going to really see that? And, and, and it doesn't matter if they me. do. It doesn't matter. Nobody needs to see it. Only you need to see it. And I will also say that when you see it and every step you take, every time you take off your sunglasses, reach for your pocketbook, every conversation, people will feel it because mm. it's an energy. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if other people feel it or not. It's if you feel it. But it's almost impossible to not be magnetic when you move from queen's energy. But you have to start there. We know the difference when we see the baby princess out. She's like fidgeting. She's touching everything. She's constantly like doing selfies and looking at herself and in her phone with her camera turned. She's, you know, just very worried about her constant appearance. That's the nervousness of the baby princess. Like, am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I going to get picked? Does someone see me? I don't know. I don't really have an opinion. What do you think about that? Right. Where the queen is like, let me tell you how I feel. And as a matter of fact, last night we were working with the energy of how does it feel? I asked my clients in my Lux mastermind, how would it feel to be the woman who moved through the world with an energy that conveyed who the hell does she think she is? 
because that's how I move through the world. Because that. my low self-esteem, my insecurity, my jealousies do not serve you. They don't inspire you, but my ability to feel so wildly in love with myself, my own self-love means more to me than the love of, from my children, from my mom, from my husband, from my girlfriends. My own self-love is my number one priority. That gets to inspire every woman in my life. And it has inspired every woman in my life. That is what takes my daughter higher because she's able to see what it looks like to be a woman. We have been, we've misconstrued this idea that if I'm so wildly in love with myself and it shows that I've got a big head, that I am, and I am not ever talking, and this is how we keep women low. I'm not talking about the energy that says I'm above you. I'm talking about the energy that says I am so fucking secure with myself. Yeah. And we have somehow interpreted that as cockiness. That's how we keep women low. That's exactly where I wanted to go. Because I know we were speaking about America, but I want to talk about England for a second. Because in the UK, there's this huge taboo about a woman who says what she wants. I think that it's a thing in the workplace specifically that then she'll be then seen as a bitch. And then she'll be then seen as too tough or too cold and in the British culture, there's this very much keep calm and carry on culture, this very much just accept things, brush them under the rug, go to the pub and have a drink, really. And it's, and it's such a thing. And I work with it with, on it with so many of my clients who it comes across in the way that they respond in emails, the way that they speak to their boss or their team if they're a manager. And I always say, well, it's because you're British and you think that it's unacceptable to be able to talk yourself up. And I know that specifically because I live in Tel Aviv. And when I first moved here eight years ago, in the Israeli culture, the women, are, it's like a kind of alpha women culture, more so than in other places in the world. And it's more normal for a woman to say, I'm amazing. And I went to my first job. And in my first job, it was like a really women-focused uh, team. And the women were like walking into the office and going, look how great I look today. Look at this new outfit that I bought. Look at this new necklace. I look incredible. And I was like, just fresh off the boat from England. And I'm like, pardon? And I was, Amanda, I was shocked. I was like, how on earth are these women coming in? And how are they saying out loud? I look great today. It felt to me like I was, I was embarrassed for them. I was like, this is really uncomfortable. And it's so funny because I've been here now eight years and now I'm just used to it. And, and I hope that I've become part of that culture that can I'm still British, let's say, but I can definitely take a compliment more than I once could. But I do think it's interesting how much the cultures dictate your ability to think of yourself as arrogant, cocky, or just confident and secure. Absolutely. It's so wildly true. And I see, we see that in America a lot. A lot of my clients are in corporate America and we work through a, a lot of those layers and issues. And it's very fascinating. I think that we have just trained women to be pleasing, to not desire too much sex, too much pizza, too much money, too much anything. Just like stay in your place, know your lane, and just, just look good for all of us. Just be like an object and don't make waves. It's the best way to get ahead. And it's, it is literally why the Merrill Lynch and Bank of America study that came out about three years ago said that women won't even catch up not surpass, catch up to men in power and finances for 257 years. Wow. What a crazy because statistic. This, well, the system is set up that way. It's, it, it's very much like keeping your place. And it's similar to what's happening with abortion here in America. 
It's how we control women. Wow. It's just, it's crazy when you think about it. And I do think what's going on in the States right now is, is absurd. And, and the more I kind of get exposed to it, and obviously the rest of the world's watching eyes on America thinking, oh my God, what is going on? It's, it's very unsettling. Something I've been really thinking about recently is, and it's because I get this a lot. So I recently turned 35 last month and I look young for my age. So people often think I'm 26, 27 when I first meet them, maybe 30. And I started to realize about this narrative of thinking that it's okay to say to a woman, you look amazing for your age. And I realized that I do it too. And I can't remember what situation I was in, but I was interacting with a woman who I just met. I really, it was in person. And I, she told me that she was, I can't remember, 53. And I went, no way, you're not, you're not, you're not. And then I said, actually, and I stopped myself mid-sentence. And I said, why do we have this belief that because you look like a certain age, then therefore you have to look a certain way. And if you don't, then I should praise you for it. And I really picked myself up on that. And then now I've got this new thing where I don't tell people you look good for your age. And if somebody says it to me, I always say, what did you think I was going to get my walking stick out? Because I'm yeah. like, what did you think? You know, yeah. you do not look surprised. I'm like, I get it all the time. And I'm like, what did you expect me to look like? Really? And I think, do you, do you agree with this narrative? Like, where, where do you see this? Absolutely. And I think we're like patting someone on the back or praising them like, good job. You are staying nice and youthful looking. Wow. It's so shocking. I would have never put 35 with such a youthful face. Good job. Here's your trophy. I think that's like the underlying message. And again, I just think that you're exactly right. We expect that women get to a certain age and they're supposed to look a certain way. But with the heavy influence of Botox now, I don't think we're going to see many women actually looking their age in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because everyone is filling their faces up with filler and, and the Botox for the wrinkles. So I'm seeing, I live right outside of Miami in Fort Lauderdale and I <laughs> see women who are clearly and closer to 70 or 80, whose faces look younger than mine. It's crazy. They don't have a wrinkle. They don't have any, I mean, their cheekbones are taut, their lips are huge. There's not a line or a sunspot. And I, I it just makes me sad that we're like getting so far away from seeing beautiful, elegant women. I mean, I think of my grandmas, I think of my mom who's in her seventies, who's had nothing done. And I just, I'm like, wow, well, my grandchildren, my own children, will they ever have other than me and maybe some other people in proximity to me, will they ever have exposure to what it actually, I think it's almost creepy that women who are older like that look like mannequins. What do you think? What do you think about kind of the counter argument to it's my body? I'll put what I want in it. Like what? Do you Absolutely, think I think I love that question because I really think that we have sold this as feminism empowerment. We've sold fake eyelashes, Botox is like I, the the big toxic beauty companies got right on board. They're like, oh, we know how to sell this. Tell them it's empowerment. Tell them it's like my body, my choice. I get to do whatever I want. I'm like, hmm. And so that's what you see happening. But I'm like, sweetheart, if you were actually so empowered, you would never fall for all this bullshit telling you that you need to do these things. So of course, every woman's going to make whatever choice feels right for her all the time, forever and forever. But I think like really pay attention. I love like dissecting the narrative because really and truly, if you believe that self-love is what you can sustain on, then you wouldn't be altering things, especially obsessively. But again, everyone will make the choice for themselves. Yeah. No, no, it's, I actually completely agree with 
with what you just said and the answer to that question. What you've alluded to this a lot, I think the whole of the conversation we've actually been, this has been a, a, a thread through it, but what can we do as women to break this stigma that aging is bad? Like what, how can we shift this paradigm? And I know we can shift it, me and you, by having this podcast conversation and by doing our work, but how can every woman, you know, the woman who doesn't have a following on Instagram or who isn't a thought leader in this space, what can, what can we do? She can have questions around dinner tables with other women and ask like, what is happening, this double standard in aging? Why is it revered for men to age and women are punished for being human? We can stop opening our pocketbooks and feeding into a system that says that we need to put toxicity all over, lather it all over our faces with anti-aging creams. We can buck against the system. And I always say to my clients, like a little bit of rage is really good. Like when you actually start to see what's happening, you can't unsee it. And I have clients now who are like, oh, I see exactly what's happening, what, what is trying to be sold to me or the message that's being told. And I want to be such a revolutionary. I want to buck the system. I want to do, I want to walk my own walk and do the complete opposite almost. And I used to say like, when I let my hair start going gray, for me, it was my personal fuck you to the patriarchy. It was, and I got so turned on in that energy because I'm such a renegade and a rebel. So if you feel like you want to opt out, but you're not quote unquote strong enough tap into a little bit of like rage or insult. Like I find it fucking insulting the shit that, that this toxic beauty culture tries to tell women about aging. I'm insulted by it. And when I'm insulted, I sure as hell won't open my pocketbook. Wow. Yeah. I also, it's the same thing I was saying before about if somebody asks me my age and then I say, and I get annoyed and say, did you expect my Zimmer frame? You know, and it's that kind of thing. And I once said that to somebody, I was actually at like an event and a guy sat next to me and he turned to me and he said, how old are you? And I said the age and he was like, no way. No, 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 no. And I said it and he, and I got angry and his reaction didn't know what to do with himself. Just turned face the other way. And I thought, fuck you. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. Care. Well, this is, and again, that response is how we educate people, like to start having these conversations and not just being like, oh, it's like, I'm curious, like what would make you respond that way? Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, I've been talking to my girlfriends about this. It's so fascinating, right? So the more we have these conversations and being willing to be the women who dissect the narrative, that's a part of how we change the narrative. Yeah, completely. And I don't know, you probably have hundreds of examples, but I guess what would be nice just to finish the episode off is what kind of transformations do clients have when they come to you, when they when they come to you in this space of not being in that queen energy or whatever situation they're in and then, and then they do a mastermind or they do your coaching programs. Can you give me an example of like a transformation that maybe would inspire my audience? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many to pick one would almost be impossible, but I would say the one of the most profound ones is a client who had been at a trauma, an adult trauma survivors camp before working with me. And she tried everything. She'd been sober for 15, 20 years. She was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And she found many ways to cope with that. Years and years of therapy, tried everything to cope with the trauma of her childhood. And I ironically ended up meeting her at a backyard party one summer night and she heard about my work and she was like, I've tried everything. And somehow when I hear you talk, oh, I get so emotional. She's like, I, I feel hope. I've never felt hope before, but your words make me feel hope. And so she signed up and this has been years now and she, she's been working with me forever and she's made the most 
phenomenal, gorgeous sisterhoods and meeting. Cause what I love about my work is it brings women together from all over the world and we journey together and they become literally the sisters of one another. It's so exquisite. But she said, nobody's teaching this. No one's offering. What does self-love actually look like in the day in, day out, hands-on tangible tools? And Amanda, you've given me my life back. Like I didn't even know I was searching in all the wrong places for my healing. And it, it was always within me, but there's no system out in the world that actually teaches a woman to turn inward that everything she ever needed was in the eight-year-old to 10-year-old version of herself. When I start working with women, I have them put a picture of themselves on their phone as their screensaver from the time they were about eight to 10. And I say to them, while we work together, every time you reach for your phone, I want you to remember everything we're doing is for her. Wow. So, so powerful. So powerful. And I think it's actually interesting because you're a clinical psychologist and you worked in that for so many years, but I've had it before when I've had one of my clients that I'm thinking of specifically who had come to me and said, I've tried everything. I've tried every therapist. I've tried a psychiatrist. I've tried all these different trauma therapies. And she said, I'm at the end, like, can coaching help? And I remember panicking when she said that, because this is quite near the start of my journey as a coach being like, can coaching help? You know, like if she's tried every type of therapy and then we did the most incredible work in her life after three months of coaching together, just something clicked and it just complete, she turned her life around. And it's almost sounds weird to say it because we've been so normalized that firstly therapy and secondly medication is, is the way to pick your life back up. And it's interesting because you've been on both sides of the coin to think about that narrative and to think that maybe sometimes therapy isn't, isn't the right method. A million percent. I've never seen the transformations I see in my transformational coaching because in psychology, I mean, I have my doctorate. I went to grad school for five years in psychology. We are focused on staying on the access of the problem, understanding where does that behavior come from? Who does that remind you of in your childhood? This is what you did to cope. So we are just constantly swimming in the energy of the past and understanding. There's a time and place for understanding and connecting all of that, but then what the heck happens? Psychologists have not been trained or equipped, and I can say this having been in grad school for five years, to say, and now what is the long-term plan for ascension, for the next level? What am I working towards? What am I creating? Every time you go into the therapist's office, it's like, tell me how you're feeling today. And before you know it, it's like, we're just spinning in the pain, spinning in the pain. I can't tell you how many times I personally went to therapy in my early twenties and left feeling worse than when I came in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how many more times are we going to talk about my dad abandoning me? Now, what do I do with all this pain? And so it's in this space that we actually put together a beautiful plan for having abandonment as part of your storyline and then what you get to do with it, what you get to make it mean in your life. So it's much more action oriented and possibility filled. I think that's an amazing way to put it. You you said it so eloquently because I get the question time and time again from my clients, you know, what is the difference between therapy and and coaching and what, how can I know what I need? And I think the way that you just put it there is great. And I think that I'm all for therapy. I think it's an amazing journey to go on, but for me, I always say it gets to the point when it's like, 
what next? Now what? And when you're at that point in your therapy journey, when it is what's next, that's when I think coaching can just be the most, it's very complimentary. And I do think that it's not either or sometimes, and I know it's not accessible for everyone to have both, but if you can go on a therapy journey and then also combine that or like subsidize that with a, with coaching afterwards, I think it's, that's the best combination. A million percent. I totally agree with you. Yes. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Honestly, it's been one of my favorite conversations and I feel I feel like it's reignited this thing about my niche and, and my coaching business and what I do. And I think the things that we spoke about was so important. So really appreciate it and appreciate you. And can you just let the listeners know if they want to, and I'm sure they all do, want to know more about you, where can they find you? Sure. Thank you so much, Emma, for having me on. It's been so, so beautiful and heart opening to have a conversation with someone who really understands this all, but I can be found. My website is just my name, amandahanson.com. That's where all my programs live. And then on TikTok or on Instagram, I'm at Midlife Muse. Amazing. Everyone go on TikTok. Even though I'm not there, I'm going to go on and start following you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much. And I'll see everyone on the podcast next week. 